As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna. Um, I think we're going to try to make this a non-Super League podcast because everything in sports media has been Super League all the time over the last 72 hours, but it was something that came and went between our podcasts, Matt. Um, This week we got Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese, only time we're going to talk to them this spring. Um, As you would expect, I find them both really enlightening, kind of interesting people to talk to you get a lot of information out of it and i think that they both have kind of more of a i guess an optimistic bent on you know where notre dame football can go so i i don't know if one was more interesting than the other to you but what was um what sort of struck you talking to to notre dame's two coordinators this week yeah i mean it's it's such a breath of fresh air to have you know two young guys i mean marcus is maybe 35 thomas tommy's not even 30 yet i don't think um be in those high-profile roles and, and handle everything both on and off the field with such a professional demeanor, uh, for lack of a better term. I mean, every time you talk to those two guys or hear those two guys speak, you feel like you're learning something new and you feel like they mm-hmm. have a plan that they're absolutely confident in that will make Notre Dame football you know, a, an elite program every year. And you know, F- Freeman's the bigger takeaway because he's a new guy, so everything he says is going to be parsed. Um, we'll get to the recruiting part in a bit, but even the way he... He handled the question of, and I'm paraphrasing here, all, all the players seem to think this defense is easier and more refreshing and, and they love playing in it. You know, why is that? And, and even Marcus, like, let me preface this by saying, like, Mike Elko and Clark Lee were really, really good here. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. Like, I'm not trying to undo everything they did. They set a standard that I need to uphold. So let, let's not, you know, get things misconstrued here. You know, it's the players who are going to make the plays. It's the, the talent that's ultimately going to win out. And he's a believer so far of the talent he has at his disposal. Now, that talent's going to shape itself probably in different ways. I mean, I think we're already seeing it with the possibility of, of Bo Bauer and Andrew White playing on the field together mm-hmm. because he wants this, the, the best three linebackers on the field together, and they're all going to cross-train regardless of position. I think you're seeing that with uh, Myron Tagovailoa Amosa moving to the outside because – He's an elite player, and I think they're a lot deeper inside than they are outside right now. And again, if you can cross-train those guys and get your best four guys on the field at all times, you're going to be better um, better positioned as a defense. And the other part, for me, philosophically speaking, I know this isn't unique, but to hear him come out and say it, it's just that like we're going to be a defense that goes the way our defensive line goes. I mean, you know, if we get that pass rush, if we hold our own up front, if we can create pressure – everything else is going to be a lot easier. And so that was pretty enlightening to hear. Um, I'm just, I think the second time he's spoken publicly um, to the media since getting to Notre Dame. I do. I do think that the vibe around Notre Dame right now is the, the defensive line. I'm not saying they, they have more than they expected to have, but I, I do think they sort of see that as a strength of the, of the team overall. Um, you know, in the, in the front seven, you could probably break that up, especially if you can get White and Bauer out on the field at the same time. But, um, you know, Foskey, Botello, Tagovailoa, Omosa, uh, I think Jason Adamilola has been one of spring practice's more impressive players based on what little we've seen. 
Uh, and then the depth they have on the interior, I think, is really significant. Howard Cross, Riley Mills, um, you know, there's you know Jacob Lacey when he comes back from shoulder surgery. Uh, that that will be something. I, I think that it's a that group should be really good. Um, and if you can sort of have a linebacker core without a weakness, um, you know, there's no Jeremiah Wusu Kormo. I, I did like that Freeman <laughs> yeah. was like, yeah, we, we would have fit in just fine with what we're trying to what, do what, here. Yeah, the um, ideal rover, I think, was a question. He's like, yeah, we had a- <laughs> yeah, yeah. That we actually had him last year. Um, that the defense, I think, has a chance to be good. I it's hard for me to look at that the group and say and see how they would be improved from where they were a year ago. Um, and I do think that was it was just sort of tucked into Freeman's quotes, but I thought it was important one is that you can only develop a guy so much. It's a, you got you got to have the talent to develop. Um, you know, and so what they are in the secondary, I think that will show itself. Uh, whoever starts next to Kyle Hamilton, you know, can can they just be good? They don't need to be great. Um, whoever starts opposite Clarence Lewis, you know, probably going to be Cam Hart. Can he can he just be good? Um, you know, whoever they start at nickel, KJ Wallace, Tariq Bracey, probably, um, they don't need that guy to be a fully healthy Sean Crawford, two ACLs, one Achilles never torn level of talent. They just need him to be good. Um, and I think that's, I like that aspect of Freeman because there's, there's not a, there's not this sort of pie in the sky. We're going to develop you into an all American and first round pick if you don't have sort of the DNA um, to become that, but they're, they're, it's much more about getting the best out of what you have. And I do think along the defensive line, they've got, they've got the potential to have some ass kickers up front. Um, and that, I think you've sort of seen those in the videos too. That pocket closes pretty quick on Jack Cohn and Drew Pine. Yeah. I mean, well, the clips they put out, I think they had three defense defensive ends in there with Adam Malala in the middle, which is interesting. Right. Um, Tease, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. As far as ass kickers up front, I thought it was telling that Marcus Freeman said he called up Mike Mickens, his old colleague at Cincinnati, when he got the job and basically said, who's the leader? Who are the leaders of this defense? And Myron Tango Viola Mosa was, was one of the ones that Mike Mickens had mentioned to him. Um, you know, I think he said he lost 15 pounds or so since as he has made the course of that transition. Uh, and he said, everyone told me when I got here, Isaiah Plasky is going to be a first-round pick. Uh, he said he's working at it. He hasn't played as much. We'll, we'll get there when we get there. But he does seem to have, and he brought up the analogy of you basically have four weeks of spring ball, give or take. Each week is going to be taught at a freshman-level course, a sophomore-level course, junior, mm-hmm. senior, so forth. And that's interesting because even – with the Clarence Lewis's of the world who have a lot of starting experience under the belt. He's like, they played a lot of football, but they're still not that experienced. Like, you're just not. Yeah. You've got a lot of football left ahead of you and a lot of room to grow and get better. So, um, obviously, a lot of new faces this year. Obviously, Clark Lee did a tremendous job the last three years, but um, I'll be very curious to see maybe less so how this defense looks against Florida State and more so how it looks down the stretch of the season um, when they go to Stanford. I, I'm also just really impressed with Freeman as a communicator. Um, you know, we were this was obviously a Clark Lee Appreciation podcast um, for the last three years. Uh, Clark Lee, I think, was a really good communicator in a, a TED Talk college lecture kind of sense. Um, I think that Marcus Freeman is a really good communicator, probably for college athletes in 2021 kind of way. Like I think that he can relate to everybody on the roster. Um, and reach everybody on the roster, and you know, I just I just found like the Marcus Freeman's apparent um, comfort in his own skin and his own voice in these press conferences has been impressive to me. Um, I because I think there's a an authenticity that really comes out very quickly. And you gravitate toward it. Um, it's probably one of the reasons why people see sort of see him as a, a rising star in the industry. Yeah, I think we're talking about one was the son of a doctor, and the other was almost would have been an NFL player if not for an unknown heart condition that, that, that forced him to retire yeah. early. So, as far as relating to eighteen to twenty two year old football players, probably going with the guy who almost uh, played in the NFL. Not to take away from Clark Lee, because I think everything you just said about Marcus Freeman from a comfortable in his own skin standpoint applies to Clark Lee too. Um, I think, you know, Clark had a certain method of doing things that was unconventional. Um, 
I wouldn't say at all rub people the wrong way. I don't want to give off that impression, but you know, no. it was acquired taste. You know, if you listen to ten different football coaches at Notre Dame or elsewhere pitch you on a place, and Clark Lee's a tenth one, there's going to be a clear difference between Clark Lee and everyone else. We've said this a million times. Right. You meet Clark Lee, you talk Clark Lee. Football coach is not the first thing, probably the first five things you think he does for a living. Uh, yeah. because he was so cerebral. But that absolutely worked, and it worked very well, and that's why he's an SEC head coach right now. Marcus Freeman is different, um, and we'll see how that um, how that plays out, both on the field and off the field. I mean, I think you know he's he's at a disadvantage compared to what Clark Lee was last year just because I don't think the, the proven talent on this 2021 defense is what it was in 2020. But I also think he's got the mindset, and we'll, we'll get to this a bit here, from a recruiting standpoint where there's no excuses. I mean, to, to, to hear him basically say, like, there's already a group of people, group of high school players throughout the country who are naturally gravitated to Notre Dame, and they're, they're pretty easy to get if you take care of business. It's about taking that next step and convincing guys who may not have had Notre Dame on your radar that there's nothing you can't do here. Yeah, and it, that's, a, that's a good segue because – we got some audio coming up of a question I asked Marcus Freeman earlier this week, but to to put it in the Clark Lee terms that you mentioned, like if you if you were being recruited by ten coach and Clark Lee would stand out as like unique among the ten, just like because his approach is totally different. I think Marcus Freeman is probably much more like the other nine, but he's the most effective yes. of those other nine, <laughs> if that makes yes. sense. So here's a here's a question I asked Marcus Freeman earlier this week on sort of recruiting at Notre Dame. Now that you've been here for a while and recruited here for a while. How has that been for you? And, and I, I was curious if you could sum up what sort of your recruiting philosophy is here with Notre Dame. We're going to continue to try to be the most aggressive and, and you know, hardest working, really, recruiting staff in the country. And, and that's just a goal of mine, and that's a philosophy of mine is, hey, let's, one, outwork everybody in the country. You know, and that that's in terms of evaluations. That's in terms of developing relationships. Um, I think we've done a really good job of identifying the guys that we feel are the best players that fit Notre Dame. You know, and that's something I kind of said in our first press conferences. I think at times it can be easy to recruit at Notre Dame because you're Notre Dame and there's a certain group of kids that just would die to come to Notre Dame. But I think for us to continue to to elevate and continue to um, try to be national champions and, and be able to close that gap between right now and Alabama. And um, we got to continue to acquire some of the best football players in the country. And those guys might not always be, hey, dying to come to Notre Dame. But if we understand that they're the right fit and we do our research and they can be successful here at Notre Dame, our job is to convince them to let these guys know, hey, what makes the University of Notre Dame special? And and it's not hard to do once you're here. It's hard to convince somebody because they're not here, but when you're here, you almost you almost wonder like, where else would you go? But it's our job as a staff is to convince these guys that, hey man, there is no better place to go in the country. And there's many different ways of trying to present that to them, but that's right now is our philosophy is that we've identified the top 22 prospects, the 2022 prospects. Now let's continue every day, find ways to convince this family that, hey, the University of Notre Dame is second to none when it comes to your college experience, your talks to, and it comes to the competitive side, the development side of you as a student athlete. There's nowhere else in the country that compares to it. And so every day we'll continue to work at it, Pete. Basically, if you're a Notre Dame fan there, uh, aside from like smashing your laptop in excitement, um, I, I mean, I think the program overall, like this is the kind of enthusiasm in recruiting that you want to see from Notre Dame. Uh, and I think that Freeman absolutely just sort of kills it with this kind of soundbite um and it, it would be one thing if he's just saying it but we've seen enough to- and talking to prospects that he's been recruiting like he's absolutely living it too and if he's living it he's going to bring everybody else in the program along for that ride yeah i mean it was um very refreshing to hear i mean night and day from that signing day press conference over two months ago now in february where it was basically a ted talk of like what you can and can't do at notre dame versus like I just love the, and you wrote a story about the value of the word simplicity when it comes to Marcus Freeman and how he's going to teach his defense to the guys. I love the simplicity of this message. Like, 
only, what, five programs in the country have made the playoff multiple times, none of which probably have the academic accolades that, that Notre Dame has to offer. I mean, I don't want to say he makes it sound like an easier sell than it actually is or should be, but, like, he puts it in terms where absolutely you can convince yourself, like, that's right, and we're an 18- to 22-year-old, especially when mom and dad are on the, the visit with you, right. can convince yourselves it's right. I mean, Brian Kelly's been here a long time. You know, we've we've long chronicled the the struggles he had initially adapting and trying to make Notre Dame fit him, and then you know later on learning how to fit himself into Notre Dame and embracing some of those characteristics um, instead of you know fighting against them. And I think there's a happy medium, you know, when when you have the kind of on-field success that, that Brian Kelly's had, and there's somewhere you can meet in the middle. But if you take a guy like Marcus Freeman, drop him in the middle of a program that has been among the winningest in the country. Uh, over the past four years, and you say basically go get him. I mean, it's kind of like red meat. Like it's just it, it, it almost is like a natural fit. And again, not to use the word easy, but I, I just think when you've had some of the people there for so long, you've had same some of the same public messaging for so long, it could get stale. It could get repetitive. When you lose to Clemson or Alabama on a big stage, it, it can get easy to. Um, I don't want to say defeatist, but but certainly put a ceiling on what you can be when you see the Nick Sabans of the world resetting the bar year after year after year. And to have a guy who doesn't really see a ceiling for this thing, it's refreshing. Uh, will it work? I mean, I, I think it'll be better. I'm not saying Notre Dame's going to go out on the field two years from now and beat Alabama in the college football playoff, but I think I will like their chances a lot better um, in 2022 or 2023 than I did in 2020 because of the approach that they're preaching so far. Uh, but it's just it was very refreshing and I, I hope that rubs off on, on everyone else there I absolutely love the idea and the perspective that Marcus Fruin brings that like hey guys you know we're not gonna get to the top of the mountain doing it the way that you've done it the last four years like I think you've sort of maxed out what that can be if you're gonna if you're gonna actually beat Alabama or beat a full strength Clemson or beat Ohio State it's go- you're gonna have to have some more guys on your team that you beat Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State to get in recruiting. Notre Dame doesn't have a ton of those. They have some. Um, and I just I, I love the way that he comfortably mentioned Alabama because yes. I, I think sometimes at Notre Dame it's like the program that shall not be named as if it's like the Voldemort of college football and if you say their name they're suddenly going to appear and take Kyle Hamilton with them. Like that's yeah I, I love sort of the change of perspective about okay there, look, and for, there's a lot to celebrate about getting as high up the college football mountain as Notre Dame has. I, I don't want to take away from that <clears> at all. Like winning 40 plus games, 10 straight years of, or four straight years of 10 plus wins, two college football trips, like that's a big friggin' deal. Because um, you see, as you're going through the state of the program series on The Athletic mm-hmm. now, there are a lot of teams that would love to have Notre Dame's problems. Um, you know, Florida and Michigan have already run on that in that series. They would love to have Notre Dame's problems. Um, but the pivot to like, all right, how do we, how do we get higher up that mountain? Uh, how do we get closer and have our roster look more like Clemson, more like Alabama, more like Ohio state. You're going to have to go find people that didn't grow up with an uncle who went to Notre Dame. You're going to have to find people that didn't go to a Catholic school in New Jersey. You're going to have to find people that their favorite movie wasn't Rudy. Um, that just sort of view Notre Dame as like another school, but like, well, they won a bunch of games, so I'd, I'd check them out. What's what's different about them? Um, that the recruiting pitch hasn't been made in some form or fashion since they started to walk. Uh, and I think that that is, that is a really significant uh, addition to sort of how Notre Dame views recruiting. I'm not saying they didn't get those guys before, um, but I do think not leaning quite as much on – kids who are already pre predisposed in some way to like Notre Dame. That's a, that's a big deal. He said, our job is to convince them. It's our job as a staff yes. to convince these guys that there's no better place to go in the country. And there's many different ways of trying to represent or trying to present that to them. Yes. Correct. <laughs> that's recruiting. I mean, well, here's, here's, here's the definition of recruiting to convince someone else to see it the way you see it. Well, here's the other thing. Brian Kelly's like, He's a very good recruiter of people. Like he convinced Marcus Freeman to go to Notre Dame over LSU, which Notre Dame's a more stable and safe 
situation right now, I think, if you're an assistant coach for your career, than LSU is after everything that happened there last year and all the turnover on that staff. It's still happening. It's still happening. Yeah, right. Like, LSU also won the national title less than two years ago. So, like, they could figure... The last three head coaches at LSU have all won the national title. Like, that place is... I don't want to say recession-proof, but, like, it's obviously not... They have all the resources and every advantage in the world to win at the highest level. And they've proven that they can do it when all the boats are rowing in the same direction. For Marcus Freeman to say no to that and to say, I'm going to take my approach to a place like Notre Dame, he's not doing that because they might be paid him more money or you know he might get along better with Brian Kelly than he would have with Ed Odron or he might you know like the Midwest more in the South. Like All those things are, are taken into consideration, but like he's not deciding the future of his career and uh, the competitiveness of where he's bringing his talents to for those things. He's doing it because he thinks you could do it at Notre Dame, what you can do at those other places. Mm-hmm. And that on its own, before he even coaches a practice, before he even gets in front of a prospect on Zoom or in person, that's what should really resonate with everyone inside that building and with the fan base. Um, and look, we, we've heard, like, this isn't just, we've seen coaches all over the country, they get up front in front of a Zoom or a press conference, you name it, and they say all the right things, and you know they're, they're good recruiters and they're labeled good recruiters. And then you hear the horror stories behind the scenes and you hear how disingenuous it is. To a man, everything I've heard from Marcus Freeman, pre, pre and not post, but at Notre Dame, I mean, it's the real deal. Like, the people there are genuinely impressed by him behind the scenes. They think he's a genuine guy. Um, they think, you know, long-term, this is just going to be the kind of fresh blood that, that is absolutely needed to, to change the way of thinking here and to, to reset the bar of expectations for what this place can become. And the other part, I mean, they took – Georgia last year wasn't the Georgia of two or three years ago that was competing for playoff spots and competing for national titles, but still a really good SEC team, and – Marcus Freeman had Cincinnati a 50-something yard field goal away from beating them in the Peach Bowl in a virtual road environment right. last year in Cincinnati, which will never have the kind of talent on its roster that Notre Dame had. They just won't. Um, so I think that's telling. And the other part, to hear Marcus Freeman say, you know, you almost wonder where else you would go. It's funny he used that phrase because I was on a Zoom a couple weeks ago uh, with Northwestern, and Pat Fitzgerald was talking about um, how they're going to have two first-round draft picks at Northwestern this year and how they have great academics offer and they have so many guys that uh, go on to, to work in the NFL if they don't play in it. And he said something to the same effect of, you know, I'm biased, but, like, what more could you ask for? What, what would you want? Um, you know, why wouldn't you come here? And, and, you know, Pat Fitzgerald's been doing this a, a long time. He's still a pretty young guy. He His name and his words resonate with pretty much everyone in the football community. When you hear him say that and you believe it, it's like, well, shoot, Notre Dame has all – theoretically, Notre Dame has all that and much more from a competitive yeah. standpoint. Why can't Notre Dame convince people to do the same thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one more optimism bomb on Marcus Freeman before we transition to the offense is privately he has told people around Notre Dame that basically every day he's here, he retroactively looks back at like the decision to come to Notre Dame over LSU and be like, how is that even a decision um, that Notre Dame fits exactly what he wants college football like in his coaching in it to be um, and that he sort of sees this place as like one of the perfect fits for him so that it's not there's no buyer's remorse or anything like that with Marcus Freeman and like coming to Notre Dame he is all in with it and feels like this is a great landing spot for him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. 
tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. We got Reese today. There, that was probably a lot more personnel talk mm-hmm. than philosophy talk, although there was some of that too was, with yeah. offensive identity and you know what the offense is going to be. I thought you know the, the newsy stuff for how much they will talk about you know Jack Cohn and Drew Pine sort of splitting first team reps. Jack Cohn is always mentioned first yes. in those questions. Um, I think that it would would continue to be a shock to me if it wasn't Jack Cohn in the fall. Um, you know the the moving of Kyron Williams around, uh, whether you call that a two back set or Kyron Williams is playing in the slot, I think is interesting. The reference to Tyler Eifert as you know, you can have a tight end being your leading receiver was kind of interesting. Probably not as not something maybe some fans would like to hear, just based on the fact they would like more of a they a would. But I mean, offense. you can do worse than Eifert. And yeah, hey, let's yeah. Who's I mean, look, if Michael Mayer is who, yeah, Michael Mayer is seventy catches. That's fine. Who is Tommy Reese's roommate? Uh, what, wasn't it Zach Martin and Chris Watt and Dan Fox oh. and Tyler Eifert? Okay, yeah. So he had, he had a few. It worked for it worked for Reese and it worked for Notre Dame in 2012. Um, you know, and then I think that the receiver position remains a, a real work in progress. And aside from Avery Davis, I don't. You know, I I get the sense that Lawrence Keys is probably the one that has made the most mm-hmm. move um, from like young guys who haven't played a lot to like, okay, we can do something here, but. There's just a lot, a lot of work to be done in that part of the offense. There is. I mean, Brian Kelly's comments on Saturday, I think, were the most enlightening in that regard as far as just they've been fine, but we need them to take that next step. And then to hear Tommy Reese again today, not talk around it, but, you know, he mentioned Lawrence Keyes as a potential deep threat. And, you know, that was eye-opening in the sense that, you know, he said a name and it wasn't, you know, some of the other names that, that I think a lot of the fans would, would hope to hear. I mean, Jordan Johnson sounds like his – has missed a couple of practices this spring for reasons I'm not completely aware of, but it doesn't sound like who knows, maybe he pulls a Kyron Williams and, and shows up in fall camp and is the next big thing from freshman to sophomore year. But I don't know if I'm necessarily going to uh, predict that right now based on, you know, what we haven't heard yet, but uh, we're still waiting. And I think, you know, Reese has done a good job of stressing the point that, you know, there's not a Notre Dame offense. There's not a Tommy Reese offense. Right. Um, the offense is going to be playing to the strengths. I mean, it sounds a little like Chip Kelly when he first got to Oregon. He said, don't tell me. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to run. You're going to tell me who my quarterback is, and then I'm going to tailor what I run to what I have at my disposal. I mean, last year you had a great offensive line. You had uh, a plethora of tight ends. You were able to be really physical and beat the crap out of people most weeks and, and play that physical style of football. You know, he got asked today about, you know, do you have to uh, take more deep shots in college football in 2021? Is that the way to win? And he said, like, sure, you want to set it up that way, but you're not just going to throw 60 yards downfield every single play. Like, Alabama's not doing that. If you watch the way <laughs> teams play week to week, it's not that simple. Um, so it's still a work in progress. I mean, we talked about the offensive line on the last podcast, and frankly, after hearing Kelly speak on Saturday, I'm even more confused oh, yeah. at what <laughs> it might look like because – Maybe he's saying something different every time. Maybe I'm just misinterpreting every time. But Jared Patterson going to play guard next year? I mean, sounds yeah. like that could happen based on Brian Kelly's words Saturday. Uh, but it's going to be different. And, you know, to hear Reese basically say, like, we don't have last year's offense line right now. We don't. So to think we're going to go out there and play the exact same style we played last year is just it's not going to happen. And, yeah. you know, look, Ian Book was really good at making things happen when everything broke down. He was good with his feet. Jack Cohn. Maybe not quite as athletic, but you know what? He's played a lot of football. He's got a really good pocket presence. He's going to hopefully be able to do some things that Ian Book couldn't do in that regard. So we'll see how it comes out. I mean, that, that's it'll be interesting to see. You know, does, does anyone take that next? You know, you, you always like to compare it to like the Jonas Gray, right? That senior who did nothing his whole career mm-hmm. and then comes out of nowhere and has a great year when the light clicks on for him. You know, is there someone like that on this roster? We'll see. I mean, you, you keep waiting to hear. And maybe this is like the optimist and all this. I feel like we keep waiting for Braden Lindsay to be that guy, um, just based yes. on the tools he has and the, am- the amount of time he's been in that program. And look, there's been a lot of injuries, especially last year. It hasn't been smooth sailing for him all the time. But like, is it going to be him? Is it going to be someone else? It's going to have to be someone because God bless Avery Davis. But if you're 
fifth-year slot guy who was initially recruited as a quarterback is the only thing you've got in the receiving game as far as proven goods, that's not going to be good enough. Yeah, I agree. They, I mean, it's interesting to look back at like the amount of receptions returning from the previous season is roughly the same this year as it was last year. And then they added Ben Skoranek yes. because it was so low. There's, I don't well, and, get the sense from anyone that there's a Ben Skoranek out there. Well, is there a Javon McKinley? Is there a guy who, not to Joe's yeah, great effect, I mean, I but who made that leap? That's where you're hoping it, among Keys or Lindsey, it's one of the two. Um, you know, I think Joe Wilkins is. Joe Wilkins has had a lot of injury stuff himself. I think that you know, asking him to be a sixty-five snap play receiver is, is a lot. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know what that's going to be. If you know, I think that if you're Notre Dame, you you have Avery Davis. You are going to hope Kevin Austin comes back and healthy, but again, he's had injury issues. Lindsey has had injury issues. Keys has had injury issues. Wilkins has had injury issues. Um, you know, but the way Brian Kelly described it last weekend, there's it didn't seem like he was holding out for Jordan Johnson or uh, Xavier Watts to have proven something by the end of spring practice this year. Maybe in August that changes, and I think that sort of gets back into the offensive philosophies and the way I asked Reese the question. Uh, today is it's okay to not have an offensive identity today for fall. It's fine in summer. It's probably even fine two weeks into August. Um, and I talked to Ian Book about this a little bit uh, for a, a Q&A. It's just like even though they knew what the offensive identity was going to be for the 2020 season in after one spring practice, which was their only spring practice, it still took time in August to figure out, okay, we're really good at this style of play within this formation. Or we're like, this is a good counter if a team does this. Um, Notre Dame's going to – that's what August is really going to be about for Reese, I think, is sort of figuring out, okay, we're good in this. Uh, if a team throws that at us, this is how we counter it. Um, you know, But there's going to be a lot more ground to cover because August camp is going to start. I don't know if they're going to have a first five offensive line. I don't know if they're going to know who their top three receivers are in order. Um, I don't know if they're going to know exactly how they want to use Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree together. Um, just the, There's going to be a lot of stuff on the table, and I think a spring practice that, if we were out there, probably would have been one of the more interesting mm-hmm. ones I have covered in 20 years, now becomes training camp in August, one of the most interesting ones I will have covered in the last 20 years just because there's going to be so many questions to answer. No, and you, you touched this on your story over the weekend. Another name that, that, by the way, doesn't sound like he's quite there yet also is Xavier Watson. I feel like we're just throwing out names on the roster at this point because you're just looking for <laughs> someone to step up and fill that void. But, but again, it doesn't sound like him and, and Jordan Johnson are particularly close right now. Uh, but you, you wrote this, I think, Saturday after Brian Kelly spoke. Last year, spring ball stops after one practice. The world's, you know, being turned on its head. We come out from the other end of this thing, and for football speaking, in August, and Brian Kelly's talking about camp, and he's just like, I don't have many mysteries or surprises about this team. Like, there's never a good time for a pandemic to happen, but, like, from a strictly college football standpoint, like, that was the year Notre Dame would, would, would have been able to handle it, was it was able to handle it. Like, they knew what they had coming back up front mm-hmm. and they knew what they were going to be and they knew what their identity was going to be now Especially like defensive scheme they knew what they were yes exactly now they're practicing like that's good now we <laughs> we're not seeing any of that practice so we yeah. can only guess but um this is what spring practice is for right like it's yeah to, to figure out who you are what you may have um and def- like and also like let's be honest it's to figure out what you're not Right. Um, it's to go out there and try different things and have them blow up. It's to go out there and, and fail and then learn from it. Um, I think that sometimes fans don't don't always have that in mind. Like that's okay. Like when you're watching these clips and you're concerned about a guy getting beat, like maybe it's a corner trying a new technique. Um, maybe it's a quarterback taking a chance on a throw he normally wouldn't. <clears throat> maybe it's an offensive lineman who is trying to work on his kick step um, and but ends up getting thrown into the quarterback by Myron Tungavello Amosa. Like all that stuff is is good in March and April. Um, in September, it's not. But 
get a that's this is this is the time to work on things and give and give people some grace to to try things and fail and then learn from them and get better. No, you're not going to put out a three minute practice highlight of Clarence Lewis locking a guy down so much that they don't even throw his way and it's an incomplete pass or a throwaway. Like that's not what Twitter and social media and fan excitement right. was for. But like that's a plus for Notre Dame's defense. You're not going to see all that right now. Uh, as far as learning what you're not, hear Brian Kelly talk about playing some of the early enrollees more um, or, or giving them more opportunities, I should say, in practice. That's what spring practice is for. Learn how close you may be, how far you may be, what you may need to do. Ha- have an actual baseline evaluation of yourself and know what you need to do between now and fall camp to give yourself a, a chance to, to succeed and get on the field in the fall. I mean, you can look at that the other way, of course, and say, well, does that mean the upperclassmen aren't getting a fair share? Or are they not taking advantage? It's not like spring ball. Everything's open. Like nothing's being uh, decided or finalized right now. I mean, even to hear, I can't believe you've gone this long mentioning an offensive coordinator press conference and not mentioning Tyler Buckner, but Reese was like, oh, yeah, you all yeah. want to hear about Tyler Buckner. I get it. Um, he didn't play football last year. There's a lot of rust there. Spring is about shaking off that rust and letting him know, hey, like, we know there are expectations, big expectations upon you. You have big expectations upon yourself, but you're not going to win the job this spring. Like, go out there, learn the offense, show that you mm-hmm. can handle being a Notre Dame student athlete, show that um, – you know, you, you've shaken off the cobwebs you know, for, for, from not playing last year. That's what this is about. And, uh, you know, it's happening everywhere now. I mean, you, you would probably feel – I don't think there's any such thing as overestimating the importance of the quarterback position. Like, if Ian Book was back, I, I think the anxiety level is down a lot just as far as, like, you know who's running the offense and, mm-hmm. and you know, who's in control. Not that Jack Cohn or whoever it ends up being can't do that. But there, there's just – a lot of moving parts right now, not a lot of concrete information or, or access to that information. And so that creates the, the void of the information void of, you know, what, what are they going to look like? I mean, from an outsider's perspective, it's exciting. Cause like, again, I, I don't know what this team's going to look like next year. I mean, I, I know what's on that roster. I know those coaches, I know what they're yep. capable of, but I can't sit here right now and say they're going to beat or lose to Wisconsin. Last year I probably could have. This year I can't. Like it's definitely going to be one of the two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> North Carolina. No, it's, it's, uh, it's I mean, that's, probably. That's why this like this season is I think so much so interesting to me because we don't know what the and we're going to be surprised in some ways. Uh, I think fans fans will be surprised, probably disappointed in some other ways. Like, but that's that's what like why Notre Dame is interesting to me this year is, is less about like can they go back to the playoff and more about like how different they're going to look from August to November. Um, and that's, that, that's a really fun story to tell. I think it's going to be a fun story for people to watch and, you know, sort of read. Um, it may be stressful at times um, on a Saturday after they lose a game that they shouldn't, if that happens, but um, it's, you know, between all the new faces, I, you know, I think Cone in particular was interesting sort of hearing Reese talk about him. I asked him to, I didn't want a straight comparison to Ian Book, but I was interested in how the skill sets may make the offense differently. And clearly there's going to be more of an emphasis on hanging in the pocket. Um, and I think that, you know, for all Ian Book's strengths, one of his weaknesses was his eyes would drop. And if there was pressure, he would scramble and get the hell out of there, which was fine because he was really fast. Um, Cone, if there's pressure, he keeps his eyes downfield. Uh, and I think he's going to push the ball vertically a little bit more. Um, or at least sort of see the number of passing attempts go up quite a bit and the number of quarterback rushing attempts go down quite a bit. Um, that's going to be interesting to watch too as, as Reese talks about, you know, how do, how do we get better one-on-one matchups? How do we spend more time getting Mayer or Kyron in one-on-one situations than we did last year? You said you talked to Ian Book? That was like a month ago. Oh, the, um, for the story that yeah. ran or Okay. Yeah. See what his draft sort of plans ask, were for next week. Yeah. Asking about identity and just like, hey, you know, you find out your identity during the season sometimes. Uh, and I think that sort of gets lost on some people that whatever your identity is at kickoff of game one is your identity the rest of the year. And that's not really, uh, that's not the case. No. Uh, was there anything in the news with English Premier Soccer? I'm, I'm not really well versed <laughs> in that in that uh, field. English, um, Engl- the English Premier Soccer League, is that what you're asking about? Sure. Soccer, yeah. yes. Super yes, League, our, something. Our, our producer, John Hayes, is a big Tottenham Hotspur supporter. I'm, um, I've been Liverpool for the past 15, 20 years. And 
yeah, it was it was interesting to sort of see a sports try to blow itself up uh, for the sake of money that was not guaranteed and just sort of theoretical. It definitely had a a conference realignment vibe, and I think if you were if you were interested, like, well, Pete, what's the Notre Dame perspective on this from a a fan like? How pissed off were Liverpool, Chelsea, Man U supporters over this? What would be the Notre Dame fan equivalent? I would compare it to if Jack Swarbrick came out and said, we're joining the Big Ten. Um, like, next next week, we're joining the Big Ten, and we're not playing USC anymore. They already did um, for hockey. <laughs> yeah. I'd, that It would elicit that level of protest. Uh, however, uh, in England, as you may have seen some clips uh they are. They go from zero to ten in a hurry. Uh, in a way, college football fans don't. I don't think you would quite see a, a Notre Dame jersey being burned outside Notre Dame Stadium, <laughs> or people renting fl- uh, small craft airplanes and dragging banners about like Swarbrick out. Um, we would see banners. Come on, college football. Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's a cottage industry over there of uh, light aircraft and banners. Um, you can make a lot of Have money. Have you seen you a Miami football there. game in the last 10 years? Every yeah. single coach has been fired via helicopter <laughs> um, at some point or another. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, it's funny. I'm not. I don't dislike soccer. I'm just not as well versed in, in European soccer the way you and a lot of our media brethren are. But it certainly seemed like the perfect cocktail of like only college football could possibly have an equivalent to this. Like this, you hear this as a college football fan, and you immediately start thinking of like the failed Pac-16 from ten mm-hmm. years ago, or the inevitable next realignment wave, or super conferences, or you name it, and probably the inevitable break off of the Power Five from the Group of Five. But to have just, what was it, 15 teams, right? Or 16? Uh, 12, 12 teams and then three to be named later. Okay. Which those three were like, we're not doing this. Um, PSG, uh, Bayern Munich, and Borussia Dortmund. Like, it, I, I just could not imagine a, a bigger shit show. And then to have it, and this was not like, you know, college football, there's a lot of money in college athletics, right? This was like hundreds of billions of dollars on the line, which made it the amateur nature of the whole thing uh, just even more mind blowing. But it definitely was. It was the soccer story that launched, launched a thousand college football think pieces. <laughs> um, Andy Staples had one about who the who the fifteen Super League college football teams would be. Notre Dame was obviously one of them. Um, but yeah, that's. College football is probably a little closer to this reality anyway, um, considering the same teams make the playoff every year. But for the sport, it would be the, the – if you're not following the Super League, I won't bore you with the details, but it would be the college football equivalent of at the beginning of the year, the sport said, all right, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, USC, Texas, you're in the college football playoff this year and every other year to the end of time. Okay, now go play the season. See how interesting it would uh, would be. That was sort of what had happened in soccer or for forty eight hours. So Andy's column was really good to the layman like me as far as explaining what this would be like, and he put it in those terms. And he, he said, you know, it would, it's those fifteen teams, the fifteen biggest brands of college football, all did this. It would fetch. He texted a TV executive who said probably one point five billion dollars a TV deal. Um, so you get the financial aspect of it. Andy had a line there that basically said, you know, it would be terrible for the sport and I would watch the hell out of it. My initial reaction is yes, initially. I'm sure it would grow old very, very soon. And he said, you know, especially in the NIL era, like, college football's problem is that the same teams make the playoff every year. It's that they risk losing the schools that, think they have a chance but don't like they still need to keep that hope alive for the arkansas of the world for the michigans of the world nebraska's you name it like like blue bloods are those with a lot of money that thanks for know, including they, michigan in your group <laughs> well they have no excuse to not be in there right now i mean 
<laughs> USC, you name it. I mean, they need to like that possibility of being in the playoff is like that's what gets people excited, even if it's a small possibility. I mean, I just yeah. If you just immediately said no, you're not in it. Like what? Like forever? Yes. Like that. Why would anyone invest their money? Like it would end. It, it just would end. Now, I think there's a difference between saying 15 teams are in it and 65 teams are in it because again, I think the the, the yeah. sport is slowly shifting toward that. And look, you have a 68 team basketball tournament every year that seems to do well. Like I think that's more than enough teams as far as having an opportunity to play for a national championship, but. Yeah, it was just it was fun because like Andy left out Tennessee and A and M, and people got mad about that. And I, I don't know how you don't put Tennessee in that. I mean, that, that's just as far as branding and money um, and excitement for for better or for worse. I, excuse yeah. me, I think they're in there. But I, I did because this is a hypothetical, and because it's the off season, and we all like to have fun with this. Like I got asked on a radio station yesterday, like. Would Notre Dame join this if it was real? Because they're all about independence. Would they do what everyone else is doing? And I'm like, they know where their bread is buttered, like everyone else. It's through football. If you're going to be part of a billion-plus-dollar TV deal and compete at the highest level with a chance to win it all every year, absolutely, they're going to be in it. Um, I don't yes. really see 100. a way around it. Yeah, it's barely a conversation to have, I think. you know, It would be, so, it would be such an obvious decision for them to go in. I mean, they're... No one has been shrewder uh, in the last 30 years of college football financially than I think, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but like who broke off and did the NBC deal? Notre Dame did. Who cloak and daggered their way into the Big East and then the ACC? Notre Dame did. Um, like Notre Dame is about Notre Dame. And if I think the, the a Super League equivalent of college football would be in Notre Dame's best interest, and Notre Dame is about that. So I think that would be a, that would be a fairly easy fit. So I – you know, I thought you were going to talk about Notre Dame's home and home series with Indiana when you were bringing up the sort of the future of Notre Dame athletics. But apparently, apparently, we we don't need to devote. How, how far down the road is that one again? Two thousand thirty. I I think it it's thirty thirty one. Um, yeah, I was sort of spacing it out. My fifth grade daughter will be a junior and senior in college at that point. So whether yeah, she's at my, Notre Dame or IU, who knows? Maybe she'll be attending those games. Mine will. Maybe in high school? And I'm not good at math. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the who's going to be coaching those two games while we're just you know? Mm, I don't know. I mean, so we had this, our podcast comes full circle here. Was such we've talked about Clark Lee, Marcus Freeman, and Tommy <laughs> Reese. If you could, if you could give me those guys versus the field, I would take those guys. Uh, for Notre Dame, yes, I would take those three. I wouldn't put it past Tom Allen still being there and being like a consistent like. Seven win program while the basketball team's still trying to figure it out. I joked to one of my friends who's a huge IU fan that like it'll be interesting to see how Tom Allen coaches against his former employer if there's like any animosity there. What did he say? He ha ha ha, I believe was the answer on that one. (laughs) They love themselves some Tom Allen down in Bloomington these days. L E O. Love each other. It's got a lot got a good Jackie Moon vibe to it. I I do appreciate that. He's the Ted Lasso of college football. Um if we go back to soccer here for a second. But um I don't know if we've got anything else we want to touch on. We've got the spring game a week from Saturday. Um we'll do a podcast next week for sure, and then obviously a spring game wrap up. Um I don't know. Maybe you know what, before we wrap up, why don't uh, a word on loose emoji who was um a colleague of mine at Blue and Gold from two thousand one to 2005 um you know a, a co-worker and then i guess he's been you know a colleague of both of ours for the last 20 years for me probably what 10 10 years for you yeah I'll tell um you. i mean when you for people who don't know him like quite literally the most kind-hearted person i have ever met um would i mean sort of give you the shirt off his back and then ask if what else you need if you needed his pants too. Um, just like incredibly generous in everything he did. I've told this story a couple times in this last week, but like when my son Tate was born in May, uh, you know, summer we're not seeing anybody for the beat at that point. I didn't really say anything about it. Um, and then in August, I'm driving away from the Goog. Lou flags me down, like, "Hey, Pete, Pete, Pete." Um, he's got like a hand knit blanket. Um, <laughs> to hand me for Tate and I'm just like who does this like who who would do 
this kind of thing and like loose emoji is maybe the only person I have ever met in my life who would do that. Just a, a beautiful, beautiful guy who, uh, gone much too young at age 58 from a heart attack last weekend. No, that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. I, I, I didn't work with him, you know, under the same umbrella, but, uh, when I was on the beat day to day in the old press box, uh, my seat was assigned next to him. So I had the pleasure of, of soaking up his knowledge. Um, really every, every home Saturday, which I, I was, I was unaware of the mind of loose emoji until I got to South Bend. And very quickly did I receive an education when the SIDs are basically coming over to talk to Lou after every play to say, Hey, is this historical note, right? Hey, when's the last time a quarterback ran and threw for this many touchdowns, you name it. And Lou is like, you know, Oh, 1973. Oh, this, like I, I tweeted this and I mean it with a hundred percent sincerity. I can't imagine there's any human being in the history of this planet who knew more about Notre Dame football. Like he was a walking and talking encyclopedia. I mean, he just knew so much. I remember my first year on the beat, uh, after my first year on the beat, I'm sitting down at home watching, um, would have been Belmont, I think. And I'm reading uh, something he wrote. He's like, why Notre Dame fans should root for, I'll have another. Oh yes. And it's like, I, because Notre Dame has won a title crown. every year that there's been a triple crown. I'm just like, of course you would have that look. Of course. Yes. Um, and it's funny because like most programs of Notre Dame's stature have like official team historians and they're always great resources anytime you're writing about or, or wanting to talk about another mm-hmm. team. And anytime, you know, someone I knew who covered another program would say, Hey Matt, do you know anyone who would be great to talk about about the history of Notre Dame? I'm like, Yeah, loose emoji. Like, who else, right? No one knows right. more than this guy. And you know, to, to your point, just just a kind hearted individual, super nice guy. Um, just a tremendous loss. You, you saw and heard Tommy Reese today on Twitter and on Zoom. Um, shout him out. You saw Brian Kelly post something. Um, I'm sure you know the school's working to to, to um, remember him in some way this upcoming season. But I mean, you know, just truly one of a kind. Like I, I just don't know anyone like him. No, it's a I mean, it's a real loss for all of us in this profession. I think for the Notre Dame fan base as well, because I mean, there was. Like you said, there there was nobody who knew Notre Dame history quite like him. Um, so yeah, I know on the spring game he always had a habit of as soon as the walk ons start coming in, you know, we're all feverishly taking notes, he would hold up his pen and then just drop it down on press row. So I think on May first, when there were the walk ons come in and late in the third quarter and earlier in the fourth, we're gonna do the same as uh, an homage to Homage to Lou because he's yeah he's one of a kind great guy um, one of the nicest people both of us know in this profession and sort of a reminder that um, yeah you can <laughs> you can be a nice guy and do this job really well um, and and Lou did he was he was really unique so we're gonna we're gonna miss him a lot this season and for seasons to come so on that note uh, we'll get out of here thanks for being with us on this latest episode of the Shamrock we'll be back next week and then obviously after the spring game as well so. Thanks for being with us. He's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. You've been listening to another episode of The Shamrock.